Whenever my wife and I were graduating from the School of Preaching in Knoxville several years ago, we were trying out at various congregations. The congregation that we ended up going to, uh, we were hired within a three-month period of graduation. Whenever we were hired at that congregation, the eldership consisted of five men. But three months later, whenever we got to the congregation to begin the work, there were four. And it didn't take very long to figure out what happened. The one man that we knew was no longer there, we had heard that he had committed adultery. He had gone off and committed an affair on his wife and he ran off with that lady and was no longer a member of the Lord's church. I reached out to him. Several other folks reached out to him. But yet, to no avail. The congregation was already hurting from losing, a, from losing an elder in the Lord's church just about six months before we even tried out. And then with a period of six months or so after us being there, you could still see the hurt and the pain that was associated with what had transpired within that congregation. I remember even as a teenager where Dad was working in his first work several years ago, and the elders have brought in a, a preacher, an associate minister, and within a period of a year or two of he and his wife being there, it came out that his wife was having an affair with one of the deacons. Why do I bring up these illustrations? It's because whenever we look to the Bible, whenever we look to the different individuals that influence us, we look to leaders oftentimes as heroes, don't we? And whenever those heroes and those leaders sometimes falter in their faith, and they, especially whenever they don't make the necessary steps to come back to Christ, as was the case in some of those situations, sometimes it shakes the faith of the members of whom they were leading. And so tonight, as we continue down the line of looking at heroes and their faltering from time to time, we want to give attention specifically to the life of Sarah. Before we do so, I want to mention a passage and mention some thoughts about the heroes that we might have and understand some realities before we discuss Sarah's life. Number one, I want to point out the principle that's found in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1, where Paul said, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, gentleness, watching yourself. Note that. Watching yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Why do I give emphasis on the latter end of that passage? It's because each and every one of us, as a human being, we are susceptible to the temptations that the devil throws our way. We are susceptible to fall and falter in regard to the nature of sin. Every single one of us, doesn't matter who we are in the Lord's church, we have to keep our guard up and we have to fight diligently for that. And so when we look at at the people that we do, as we're going to tonight with Sarah, among the many others that you have examined in this summer series already, 
you need to understand that they are like us. They're human beings who are susceptible to sin. And whenever they do sin, they are in need of love and mercy and forgiveness, just as we would need love, mercy, and forgiveness. And they can. And let's note this. As individuals, as heroes, whenever they are truly humble and as they serve our living God, if they truly want to return and restore that relationship, they can. And that's the great blessing that we see amongst many of the heroes that you have already explored. And Sarah is not exempt from that tonight. They can be restored to greater and even more faithful service whenever they falter. Maybe another way to put it is sometimes whenever we go through challenges, struggles, temptations, and yes, sometimes succumb to sin, yes, it makes us weak in that moment, but a lot of times we come up stronger if we allow for such a scenario to make us stronger. If we depend on God to get us out of those things. So tonight, let's open our Bibles and begin to look at the life of Sarah with the time that remains. First, we want to answer the question, who was Sarah? I believe that many of you are serious Bible students and you probably already understand a lot of what I'm about ready to unfold. But in answering the question, who was Sarah? We are first introduced to her in Genesis chapter 11 and verse number 29. The Scriptures first introduce her as Abram's wife, Sarai. And so whenever we look to the Old Testament Scriptures, specifically Genesis 11 and verse number 29 among, and all the way through Genesis chapter 17 and verse number 15, you're going to see her name recorded as Sarai in the Scriptures. It's not until Genesis 17 and verse number 15 that you see that name change where both Abram is now changed to Abraham. And that was due to the significance of the covenant that was made between he and God there in Genesis chapter 17 and the law of circumcision being laid. But then whenever it comes to Sarah being changed in Genesis 17 and verse number 15, Sarai to Sarah... We don't quite have an explanation as to why that occurred, but yet God told Abram to call her Sarah. And the Scriptures from Genesis 17 forward call her Sarah. We also know according to the Scriptures in Genesis chapter 20 and verse number 2, verse 5, and also verse number 12, that Sarah was the half-sister to Abraham. That comes out whenever you look at the lie that was told and that she and Abraham had devised there in Genesis chapter 20. And verse number 12 points out that relationship. Even though it was a half-truth, it was still deceitful. As we move forward into the inspired Scriptures, we reflect to the New Testament for just a moment and look what the Bible says about this individual named Sarah. We turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 for just a moment. And we are reminded of what Peter said about her. She was one who served as a biblical example of one who submitted to her husband. When you look in 1 Peter chapter 3, you see specifically in the context how there is a husband and wife that is being discussed. 
And the wife in the scenario seems to be the Christian, and the husband here seems to be a non-Christian. And so Peter unfolds how a Christian wife is to uh, submit to her husband. In the process of that, he identifies in verse number 5, for in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with terror. And so we learn that she serves as an example even today to all wives as to what it means to submit in obedience unto your husband. But then we go to Hebrews chapter 11. And we look in the great faith chapter at all the names that are recorded there. And as we looked on down through, majority of the names that we see are men. And each of those individuals that are listed here have a rightful account to be called out. But who do we see mentioned in verse number 11 of Hebrews 11? Isn't it Sarah? The Bible says there that by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And you may examine all of these Scriptures with me here tonight, and you may be concluding at this point, well, Trent, where is her faltering? Where are you going to talk about her going astray? What we've done is we've examined the beginning of her life with Abram in Genesis 11, and verse 29, and we've looked at what the New Testament says about her being a hero of faith and serving as an example for each and every one of us. But here's what we need to connect. There was something that took place in the middle. There was a life that was lived and there were, there were things that happened in the life of Sarah that we need to be aware of. I invite you back to Genesis chapter 11 and we're going to spend some time in Genesis at this period. In Genesis chapter 11, there is something that is recorded in verse number 30 about this woman that we are studying this evening that is very significant to understanding the rest of our discussion tonight. Verse number 29 said who she was married to, to Abram. But there's a word of conjunction mentioned in verse number 30. But... Sarai was barren, and she had no children. Right from the very beginning of her introduction, the second verse that speaks about her in Scripture has a significant point to be made that this woman did not have children. This woman was barren. This woman was, was suffering and the Holy Spirit has given you and I this piece of information so that we can understand something about what transpires in the chapters that follow. Like many other people, especially women, Sarah longed for a child. According to the IVP Bible Background Commentary of the Old Testament, it was stated that the failure to produce an heir was a major calamity for a family in the ancient world because it meant a disruption in the generational inheritance pattern 
and left no one to care for the couple in their old age. This would have been a great concern. This would have been something that would have impressed upon her mind. And she would have struggled with these things. So now that we understand a little bit about Sarah, let's understand some things about God. Let's understand how God interacted with this this couple, this chosen couple. And we go to Genesis chapter 12 for that. In Genesis chapter 12, the Bible says in verse number 1 through 3 that now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. It is here that we learn that God relays a very significant call to Abraham. And simply what He is calling Abram to do is to leave his hometown, to leave Haran and to go to the land of Canaan of whom God has promised to Abram and his generations that will follow. As you and I read and study both Old and New Testament Scripture, we know that Abram did not ever become one who actually possessed the land. We know that he was a sojourner or a pilgrim that wandered around that land. But yet, he was told to go to that land for preparations. And so, in verse number 4 and 5, in Genesis chapter 12, we learn something about the age of Abram at the time that this promise was stated. And so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And then Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all of their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. And so they came to the land of Canaan. Verses 4 and 5 tells us Abraham was obedient unto God's call. But I want to bring you back to verse number 4. How old was Abraham whenever this occurred? The Bible says that he was 75. He was 75. And if you look in Genesis chapter 17, you will understand of the numbers that correspond in Genesis 17 and verse number 17 that there was a 10 year age difference between Abram and Sarai. And so Sarah would have been 65 at the time of this initial calling out to go unto Canaan. I want to again bring to your remembrance the significance of what this promise entails. Not only was he encouraging and calling Abram to go to the land of Canaan, And not only was he telling him what future generations would behold here, but we look in verse number 2, and it says, and I will make a great nation. More specifically, you, a great nation. What does that mean? What does that imply? Well, obviously it implies that there's going to be children that will come forth from Abram. From his seed, there will be a prospering and there will be children that will come forth. Hebrews 18.18, or rather, excuse me, Genesis 18.18, 18, 
Genesis 21.18 and Genesis 46 and verse number 3 all point to this promise. When you look at Genesis chapter 12 and what God has asked for both Abram and Sarai to do at this point, they are living with a faith that has not yet seen what God is able and would eventually accomplish. Faith in a land of possession. Faith in a child that's not yet even in the womb. And we're going to learn that that will come years after what is stated in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 15, we turn our Bibles over to there to see this covenant yet again in similar words restated. Genesis 15 verses 1-6 through says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, and if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Yet again, we look at verse number 4 and 5, what God has said, Abraham, this son, this promised lineage that I told you that I would make your name great and, and a nation would come from you, and so shall your descendants be as the sand and as the, the stars of the sky. It's all going to come from your body. It's going to come from your seed. And Abraham is given this great confirmation. But yet, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, what we have examined so far tonight, there's nothing that has been said that Sarai was going to be the fulfillment of those things. It's not until later that that is fully revealed that God intended we oftentimes make assumptions, as I believe the Scriptures leads us to do, but we need to put ourselves in Abram's mind and Sarai's mind. They had not yet heard the official confirmation that both of them would be doing this together by God's strength and by God's power. I want to point out a significant verse in Genesis 15 and verse number 6 yet again. That is, he, that is Abraham, believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. This is a significant verse because of its implications and instruction given in the New Testament. You'll find it at least three times reiterated in Romans chapter 4 and verse number 3, Galatians chapter 3, and um, the specific verse there has left me, but then it is also reiterated in James chapter 2. 
And each of these times is discussing the level of faith that one ought to have in order to be justified through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4 is all about justification in Christ and not in the law. Galatians chapter 3, Paul unfolds yet again justification in faith in Christ and not yet again justification through the law of Moses. And the discussion in James chapter 2, is a man saved by works or faith or do they work together? And of course, he identifies that with Abraham and this very passage as to Abram being justified by faith and works coming together to give us a foundational structure as to how God expects for us to live and to dwell. And so Genesis 15 unfolds that covenant and tells us there's going to be a person that will come from you. But then we go to Genesis chapter 16. And in Genesis chapter 16, we learn that we begin to learn that Sarah did not trust in the promises of God. Based on what unfolds in Genesis chapter 16, we're led to make an assumption. And that assumption is that a husband and wife had a conversation. Abram and Sarai had a conversation about what God said in Genesis 12 and Genesis chapter 15. And up to this point, when you get to Genesis chapter 16, 10 years have taken place. In fact, as you look on down through, you will read there in verse number 2 and 3 that they had been in the land of Canaan for a period of 10 years. 10 years they were waiting on this promise that God said would occur. 10 years they are waiting in anticipation for this child to come. 10 years this is weighing upon Sarah's mind. And as we put ourselves into her mind, we're reminded of her barren state. And that this barrenness proved to be a great test toward her faith. The Bible says in Genesis 16, 1 and 2, And now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And so Sarai said to Abram, See now that the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid and perhaps... I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. There is no way for us to fully connect whether Sarah's words in Genesis chapter 16, 1 and 2 is absolutely true. As to whether God was the one that was directly responsible for her not having a child up to this 10-year period. I believe that certainly there could be evidence that points toward that, but as you look at the context, there's nothing that gives us one way or the other. But what, is, what we do need to understand is where Sarah is. She is upset. She is laden with guilt, wanting to produce this male child for Abram and the heritage that would come forth from that child. And so she points to God and she blames God. God's responsible for not opening my womb. We know that God did open and close wombs. You look in Genesis chapter 20, verses 17 and 18. um, And there in the context, it will tell you that for a time, those wombs were 
not able to bear children, but then God opened them up and they were. And so emotionally, in Genesis chapter 16, Sarah was driven to see that Abraham was driven to see that Abraham was blessed with a child and she was willing to do anything to make sure that he received that child. But rather than trust in God, what did she do? Rather than trust in the promise that Abram and Sarah were husband and wife, and that was God's design from the very beginning, that a husband and wife should cleave to one another and leave father and mother, and they should be naked and not ashamed there in Genesis chapter 2. They should be fruitful and multiply, Genesis chapter 1, 31 and following. Rather than trust in that design that God had given from the very beginning, we see that she made her own plan in verses 1 through 6. In verse number 2 and following, uh, verse number 3, it says, And then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to, his, to be his wife. And after Abram had dwelled ten years in the land of Canaan, and so he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and whenever she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave you my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. And the Lord judged between you and me. Do you see how sticky this situation got? Do you see how going down a detour or, or her own path had led to more and more problems. Indeed, what she did was under, under specific codes that were present under the Mesopotamian rule and under certain restrictions and guidelines that were given according to the commonalities of the day, there were legal remedies where one was able, if they were not able to produce a child, they could go into a servant and they could go into a prostitute depending on the code that they followed and children could be born and that husband and wife using that person as a surrogate would ultimately call that child their own. The Bible background commentary that I referenced earlier goes into more detail pertaining those things. But yet notice, there were consequences to her actions. There were consequences for her going off on her own accord. After Hagar had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And this means that Hagar looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarah. Obviously, she was jealous she was jealous, and that jealousy played a large part of what unfolded between Sarah and Hagar later as she cast her off and deals with her harshly. Sarah then advances the blame toward her husband and also to Hagar. She doesn't take, take control and say, I'm the one that's responsible here, but she points the blame towards, toward Abram and makes him feel as if he's the one that is messed up in this. He did go along with the plan we may have. But rather, she points the blame toward him and then to Hagar. Not admitting that her wrong was there, but that, that she was wronged in the process of this unfolding. And so, as things unfold in Genesis chapter 16, rather than extending mercy and kindness, Sarah dealt harshly in verse number 6 with Hagar and sent her away. 
Yet again, how old was Abram whenever all of this occurred? And the one that was conceived in Hagar was born. Genesis 16 and verse number 16 says he was 86. So we've jumped forward 11 years from the initial promise to the giving and the birth of Ishmael in Genesis 16. Sarah would be the one that would give Abraham the chosen children is what Genesis chapter 17 tells us. Genesis 17 and verse number 15, there seems to be a discussion that's there after the name is changed from Sarai to Sarah. There in verse number 15, God said to Abram, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people from uh, will be from her. And then Abram fell on his face and laughed. And then he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. What, what's Abram saying in verse number 18? God, I already have a child. God, I've already received Ishmael from this woman. Can't we just make that work? That's what he's saying. And what does God respond in verse number 19? Then God said, No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And so it's Genesis chapter 17 that really unfolds it all. It unfolds the very picture of what God intended from the very beginning, but yet Sarah did not trust in that promise and tried to take things into her own hands 11 years later. But then, as they are approaching 99 and 89 years old, they are yet again reminded in Genesis chapter 17, Sarah will give you this child. It wouldn't do much justice if I didn't mention this as well, but Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, we find that Sarah reacted to this news. I'll let you read the context on your own account, but I do want to point out how she reacted in this chapter. The Bible says, in verse number 9 and following. And then they said, Where is Sarah your wife? And Abraham said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of your life. Behold, Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening next uh, in the tent door that was behind him. And now Abraham and, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah were old and well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. She was not physically able to do this, brethren. And verse 12 says, therefore Sarah did what? She laughed within herself. She may have thought that that was only for her to see. That was only for her to hear. But boy, was she wrong. It says, she laughed within herself saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord also be, uh, being old also? And the Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And at the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah, even when she was caught, 
The Bible says that she denied it saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. The Bible gives us that commentary. But God said, no, but you did laugh. A very simple, straightforward answer. And one that I'm sure that Sarah probably thought about for a while. Sometimes we don't need stern answers in order to get the point, do we? And I believe that God handled Sarah in the appropriate way. She was struggling, right? She wasn't able to produce that child. But here God is saying, I need you to trust me. I need you to believe that you and Abraham will have this son. Advancing to Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7 says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And now Abraham was 100 years old whenever his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, look, it's a similar reaction, but yet it's different. The Bible says that Sarah said, how, or rather, God has made me laugh. And all who hear will laugh with me. Brethren, this isn't a laugh as in she is mocking God like what maybe took place in Genesis chapter uh, 17 and 18 just a moment ago. Not a laugh of denial like unbelief, but this is a laugh exuberant and joyful that God has fulfilled what He said that He would. At the spoken time, He did so, the Scriptures tell us. She also said in verse 7, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Some people ask, why exactly did God wait to bless them with a child as long as He did? Let's think about it. Abraham was 75 in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis 21, he is 100 years old. 25 years transpired out of eager anticipation for this child to come. Sarah had the blessing of 37 years with that child. She died later on at 127 years old. And so, as we look to the Scriptures, we learn God waited. And I believe that God was proving a point. God was testing their faith and He was proving to them that He was going to be faithful and would always be faithful. Not only to them, but those that knew them. And we tonight are reading this Scripture together. And this account speaks volumes to you and to me as to God who promises is fully able to accomplish all that He sets His heart out to do. Everything that He says, we can trust. God does not lie. Titus 1 and verse number 2, it is an impossibility. But Romans chapter 4 and verse number 18 through 24 
spoke about Abraham's body, that his own body was already dead. Hebrews 11 and verse 12, him was as good as dead. Concerning Sarah's body, Romans 4 and verse 19, the deadness of Sarah's womb. Hebrews 11 and verse number 11, she was past the age of childbearing. Why is this significant? There was a question posed in Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That all plays into the context of what God was doing here with Abram and Sarai in this great fulfillment of this child coming forth. So God fulfills His promise and Sarah serves as an example of one who trusted in the Lord. She didn't always do that, did she? You look in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 11 and we see the end result of her faith. We see where she eventually made it to. And verse number 11 yet again says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the child-bearing age because she judged Him who was faithful, who had promised. Tonight, what lessons can we take in application from this lesson? Number one, our heroes of faith are just like us, as we said in the introduction. Everyone makes mistakes, and even our heroes from time to time make mistakes. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Romans 3.23 We only make matters worse whenever we choose to deviate from the path or plan that God has set forth. And Sarah serves as a prime example in Genesis chapter 16 as to the mess that was made, just like what unfolded in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. Who did this? Uh, we find Adam and Eve passing off the blame, and so was true with Eve, or rather, excuse me, Sarah, in Genesis 16. Whenever we go astray, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Every person is accountable and responsible for their own sins. You're not accountable or responsible for mine, and nor am I yours. Ezekiel 18, verses 8 through 20. We must also learn to be patient. That was a huge lesson that was illustrated here. 25 years, God had Abram and Sarai waiting for this promised child. And that serves as a lesson to us today because we also must remain patient and diligent in the efforts that God gives us to carry out on this side of eternity. James said in James 1, verses 2-4, through My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. There are several other applications that I would love to be able to go into with you, but I'm going to run out of time. But I want to leave you with one other. It's one that I discussed with my wife before coming here. And I realize that this lesson in principle, has a lesson sometimes maybe at large to ladies. Ladies eagerly wait for a child. Ladies long for that. And I'm not saying that men don't either. We do. But it seems to affect ladies a whole lot more than it does at times, at least in my experience, than it does men. And I want to speak for a moment in an encouraging word in regard to those things. I want you to understand contextually what was stated here was stated specifically as a promise to Sarah. 
God said that they would be able to be blessed with that child. I don't want you to take as a principal application that if I remain faithful unto death, if I live as an example of faith like Sarah, that I'm going, if I've not been blessed with a child, that God's going to bless me with a child. Many are probably unaware of our situation, but a man and I have been married for 15 years. We were married 13 years before our first son came into our life. We had the ability to adopt him. But I want to share with you what you should and shouldn't do in regard to wanting something on this side of eternity and striving to make God push forward that will. What I'm saying is, don't make your will a forceful will upon God. For 10 years, Amanda and I prayed for a child and we weren't blessed with a child through natural means. We decided and changed our mind and thought and prayed for several years as to what exactly we would do. And we then decided to enter into adoption at the beginning of 2019. We went through the process of adoption and we were going to accept no matter what came our way as to whether a child would come into our life God was going to be the one that would hold through and see fit if that were within His plan for us to be able to do so. We were willing to accept anything that He threw our way. And in 2020, at the end of that year, we had made a direction that was going to open up more doors. And at the beginning of 2021, all of those doors came closing. It was like we were back at square number one at the beginning of 2019. Our agency came to us and said that they were closing their doors on adoption. They weren't going to be able to renew our home study and that we needed to find other options if we wanted to continue to go through the process of adoption. And so for the next few weeks, we thought, we prayed, we chose to go in a different direction, started with that new direction. People that we knew in the brotherhood were aware of our situation and there were people that were reaching out to us saying, here, Uh, is a situation you may want to be aware of. And it looked like we could have had a child coming into our life within a two to three week period there at the beginning of 2021. Yet again, the door was closed and we continued down the pursuit that we originally chose. At the beginning of February 2021, God providentially was working things in the background that we were not aware of. Someone that we knew, knew somebody that we didn't know that had already come up with a plan of adoption for her unborn child. And in 2021 of February, we met that birth mother and she gave birth to that boy in August 2021. And that boy came to be our son. There were challenges all the way through in those 13 years that we faced all of those things. We were willing to accept no matter what came our way, what God's answer was. But here's the point of all of this. It could be that you're unmarried and you're looking for that that person to spend the rest of your life with. It could be that you're like Sarah and many others waiting eagerly for that child. It could be that you're waiting for that job promotion that will that'll just open up everything that it's there. It could be so many different things. But here's what I want to leave you with. I want you to understand that God has a plan for you 
And no matter what He allows to come into your life and does not allow to come into your life, you can still accomplish His will whether there's a child there or there's not. Whether there's a spouse there or there's not. Whether there's that job promotion or that big house or those other things or there's not. God wants us to keep our mind on eternity. And sometimes these challenges that we go through are meant to incorporate and make us stronger. In the last several years, God has opened up opportunities for Amanda and I to minister to people in different ways that we had no idea that we would have the opportunity to do so. And I'm thankful to God every single day, and He's continuing to lay down that plan for us as we continue to serve Him faithfully. I hope that this has served as an encouragement to you here tonight, and may God bless each of you.